Hey, as we begin this morning, how many of you have one of these? Do you have your cell phone handy? Can you, can you hold it up? Let me see it. For one, it's, it's good if you turn the ringer off. That would be helpful, but that's not even the main thing. I want you to hold it up. Keep it, let me see. Let's see how many we have in the room. How many we got? You got anybody else? Hold it up high. Look at all these cell phones. A couple things to think about. Wouldn't it be amazing if our, if our Bible was like our cell phone? In that, wouldn't it be awesome if we carried this as often around with us as we do this? Wouldn't it be awesome if we, if we panicked, if we couldn't find this just like we do when we can't find this? You know? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be amazing if we, you know, if we checked, if we checked this for messages all the time throughout the day over and over and over? Well, I wonder if there's a new message for me. <laughs> like we do with the other. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, you know what? We uh, here at Impact believe in the power of God's holy word. I hope all of you do. If you're, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, we stand on the Bible and we do our best to teach and preach and stand on God's holy word as the inerrant and infallible inspired word of God. Which, you know, interestingly, I saw a survey this week that showed us that that is not the norm anymore. That the number is declining fairly rapidly in our country in terms of people that would agree that this book is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Inerrant meaning without error, and inspired meaning written by God. God breathed, as the Bible itself tells us. And that number has now gone to less than one out of four Americans believe that. Less than one out of four. About 24% of people in our country believe that now, which is a sad thing. But I hope you do. I hope you're here because you do. We hopefully all can agree that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews tells us. Amen? He is, and that, and that as Isaiah tells us, the grass may wither and the flowers may fall, but the word of our God stands forever, amen? amen? So we're looking at Mark chapter 9 because we're going through the book of Mark. There are 16 chapters. We're looking at all 16 chapters in 16 weeks, one chapter per week. The goal, the best case scenario from my perspective, was that each of you would look at the chapter upcoming and, and prepare and think through and read about it, read it, I mean, and maybe uh, pray about it, ask God to help you see what He wants you to understand about that chapter. And today we're looking at Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can turn to that with me. Um, you know, Jesus often let His disciples see things that nobody else got to see. And we're going to see that happen in Mark chapter 9 as the chapter begins um, with what we call the transfiguration. But similar to the transfiguration, only Jesus' disciples got to see him walk on water. Only the disciples got to see him say, shh, to the storm when they were in the boat and watched the water go glassy, calm in that moment. Only his disciples got to see a number of certain uh, miracles or healings as well. I think the point that hit me as I was preparing for this message and as I started reading about the transfiguration this week is that, you know, I think the closer we get to Jesus, the more cool stuff we get to see. The closer you walk in relationship with God, the more intimate that relationship becomes, the more, the more consistent that relationship is, the more God reveals His glory, His majesty, His awesomeness, if you will, 
to us. At least that's what we see in the precedent in Scripture. Let's look at it together. Mark chapter 9 begins like this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. That's the inner circle within the inner circle. You know, the inner circle of disciples, and then there's Peter, James, and John, which seem to be an inner circle of three within the twelve. And he led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter, as you'll see in a moment, didn't know what to say, and so he said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. I don't know if you've ever been in that boat where you don't know what to say, so you just say something, maybe not necessarily the best thing. But anyway, that was Peter's response because he didn't know what else to say. Verse 7, then a cloud, not an ordinary cloud, but then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Verse 8, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So let's pause there. You know, isn't that an amazing scene? Can you imagine being there, you know, in this moment? We call it the transfiguration. When Jesus allowed the inner circle within the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, when he allowed them to see him without some of the the typical things that would hold back who he really was, the, allowed them to see him in a moment where he was able to, uh, where part of his glory was seen. I mean, it's an incredible thing. Again, only, only uh, the disciples got to see a number of cool things, and this was a special thing that only Peter, James, and John got to see. The Greek word translated transfigured, put it on the screen here for you, there it is, it is um, metamorpho, metamorpho, and, and at, as you can see, there's the Greek version as well. We get our word, as you would have guessed, metamorphosis from this. But basically, the, the thing to understand is this. The verb refers to an outward change that comes from within. In other words, it's not just a cosmetic or, or merely a, an appearance-based change. We're talking about a complete change from one form to another. On earth... Jesus appeared as a man, a poor carpenter from Nazareth, turned itinerant preacher. But at the transfiguration, in this moment that we're looking at, Jesus' body was transformed into the glorious radiance that he had before he came to earth. Scripture tells us about that in John 17, Philippians 2. And, it, and anyway, he was transfigured into this form, and it's a similar form which, with which he will have when he returns in glory to establish his kingdom forever in Revelation chapter 1. The Bible tells us about this. You know, and like when God told Moses, if you go way back to the Ten Commandments days and, and Mount Sinai, as God told Moses then, no one can see him and survive. So Moses was allowed to only see a little glimpse, kind of the backside of Almighty God. Or kind of like when, when Saul, before he became named or understood to be Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus and a blinding light hit him and, and eventually scales fell from his eyes uh, days later. But, but anyway, a bright light which was Jesus coming to him. Sometimes when, when, when we would be, if not for supernatural things, we would need something like this to even be able to see Almighty God. 
wondered what that would sound like with a microphone, but anyway, there we go. So, um, but, but it's an amazing thought to imagine that supernaturally God allowed Peter, James, and John in this moment to get at least a little glimpse of what Jesus is truly like when he's not inhibited by the flesh that he chose to willingly, for your sake and my sake, uh, put on for a temporary time while he was on this earth. For about 33 years he did that, which sometimes lulls some of us to sleep because we don't realize or we don't understand how majestic and how brilliant the uh, glory of Almighty God truly is. But Peter, James, and John got a little glimpse of it in this moment. His glory, God's glory is so bright and perfect and brilliant that we can't see it without some kind of miraculous intervention. And it's just awesome that Peter and James and John got to see it. And someday, you and I, if we, are surrendered our, if we have surrendered our lives to the Lord, walking with Him, we will have new bodies and new eyes and live in a place where there is no such thing as darkness. At least not darkness that would be associated with anything evil. And we will get to live with Him and be in this perfect light all the time. Heaven is going to be so much more awesome than any of us can even begin to understand. But part of it will be this incredible and beautiful and perfect and warm and whatever words you can think of, light that will be there all the time. I think Peter, James, and John got a little glimpse of it in this moment. The light... The majesty, the power of our Lord is greater and brighter and warmer, more comforting and more perfect than we can know. There are a couple other things I think this brief story called the Transfiguration can, can illustrate for us that are really cool. As I read through this and as I think about it, I think this story illustrates that we will also know each other in heaven. Ever wondered about that? We're going to know each other or not? Um, I think we will. I think because, I'll tell you this, because when Elijah and Moses showed up, I don't think they were wearing, hello, my name is, name tags, and yet somehow Peter, James, and John recognized who they were. So this is, you know, somewhat conjecture, but my guess would be that this is one of the passages that teaches us that we will recognize and know one another in heaven. And I, I don't know about you, but that's really exciting to me. You know, does anybody else in the room have somebody that is already there that you can't wait to see again? Yeah, me too. Me too. My mom, my grandparents, and other friends uh, as well. But how about just some of the people of Scripture that we've read about? Peter, James, and John. Isn't it going to be awesome to get to talk with them? Or going way back to Adam and Eve, or, you know, Elijah and Moses, or David, or Esther, or Ruth, you know, or Mary, or or on and on, Abraham, the, the list is so incredible of people that we will get to know and talk to when we get to heaven. You know, another thing I think this story illustrates for us is that it's not wrong to have best friends, to be closer to some than to others. Some people would say, no, I think that's cliquish. You know, it's, it's wrong to be in a clique or to have a clique. It's wrong to, to, to love some more than others. Like, I don't see that in Scripture. It's wrong to treat others without love. We need to love everyone, but Jesus was clearly closer to some people than he was to others. He had the masses, then he had a, a large group of disciples, of people that followed him, then he had the inner circle of 12, the, those that he was most close to, and then he had the inner circle within that inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And in some ways it even looks like John might have been his true BFF, his closest best friend. 
In other words, Jesus illustrated for us that it is cool, it is fine to have close friends. You're closer to some than you are to others. You love everybody, you treat everybody with great love as God would have you do so, as God has loved you, but you can be closer to some than others. And I think that's really a cool thought as well. We may not be, we may not be married when we get to heaven. The Bible teaches that we will not be married but I don't know about you, but if you love your spouse like I love my wife, I hope that God will at least let us be roommates. When we get to heaven, that's, that's my request. Okay, so she might not be my wife, but at least, can, Lord, can we at least be roommates? That's my request. But, um, but, you know, again, the closer you get to heaven, I think the key thing as I read this passage is that the closer you get to heaven, the more your faith grows, the more your walk with the Lord grows, the closer you are to the Lord the more that relationship just develops, I think the more God allows you to enjoy and see beautiful things that, that others might miss. I think that's what happened here. Peter, James, and John were allowed to see things that the other disciples were not. You know, Jesus also healed some people in stages. We saw this last week in Mark chapter 8 when he healed the guy in, in two stages. And that reminds me that we grow in stages as well, right? I think we all do. The disciples did. Yes, they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus immediately, but their questions got better. Their faith and their trust in the Lord got deeper as their lives developed, as they went along in life, down that path. And in a similar way, I would guess you are like me, and we're all like the disciples, in that we are growing a little at a time. Our faith is developing in stages, a little at a time. And so the question becomes that. It's a subjective thing only you can answer. Only you and God know the answer to this question, but it's a really powerful question to contemplate. And it's simply this. Are you growing? Are you walking in a way with the Lord where your, where your faith is developing, where you are growing in your walk? Where are you at today compared to a year ago? Is your faith stronger today than it was a year ago or six months ago or even a month ago? Where are you at? Only you know and the Lord but I think that's something we all need to contemplate and look at. Scripture tells us a number of things that can add some, some perspective in this context. Second Peter 3 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. Work at growing. First Timothy chapter 4, this is where the Apostle Paul was mentoring a young man named Timothy. And he told him to not let others look down on him because he is young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. All five of those areas. He said, set an example for others. And then he talked about how, how young Timothy could grow. He said a couple of things. First of all, he talked about how you need to devote yourself to the reading of Scripture. He talked about that with Timothy. And then he told him not to neglect the gifts he had been given. Put into practice the things that you've been given. In fact, that's exactly the next phrase. Look at verse 15 of that chapter. Paul said to young Timothy, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Grow, Timothy. Keep growing in your walk with the Lord. Jesus, his brother James, tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So again, the question to contemplate is, are you growing are you drawing near to Him to the extent that it is leading to growth? The passage right here that we just read, God, in the form of that cloud, said, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Which, the more you listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The more you listen to Him, the more you will grow. 
So the disciples grew in their relationship and their trust and their understanding. And eventually, God turned the world upside down with these, with these guys. And God can do amazing things through you and I as well if we will continually listen to Him and grow in our walk with Him. All right, well, as we continue, verses 9 through 13, if, you're, if you have your Bible open, um, or if you follow, actually, I didn't put these on the screen, but verses 9 through 13 show us the descent from the mountaintop. The, the four of them, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus walk back down. And as they're coming down, a question becomes uh, something I think we need to also think about, and that is this. Is it permissible? Is it okay to question the Bible? To question God? Is it okay to talk about maybe your perceived inconsistencies or incongruities in the Scripture that you're not sure about? What about this? What about that? You know, is it okay to ask for such answers? Well, I would tell you this passage shows us that Jesus apparently thought the answer is yes. It's okay. As they came down from the mountain, the disciples had many questions, including one about Elijah. And again, we're not going to read it all. I don't have time for that. But, but Jesus discussed these things with them. I think Jesus wants us to come to him with faith like a child. We've talked about that many times. Faith like a child. But that does not mean blind faith that never asks any questions. Just yes, sir, no, sir, all the time without ever asking a question. There's a, there's a line you can cross by asking inappropriate questions or failing to have faith, doubting too much. But there is a place for asking questions as well. In fact, he tells us that if we seek him, we will find. If we knock, the door will be opened to us. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 that says exactly that. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you, uh, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So ask questions. Look at opportunities to grow. Pour over your holy scriptures. Talk to others. Maybe join Bible studies. Look for ways to, to let God's Word come alive in your life. Sometimes that's time alone with the Lord. Sometimes that's you with others as well. Verse 14 through 29 then, if we're continuing, uh, we come to a story where Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. It's kind of a lengthy story there. Again, I won't read it all, but um, when they descend from the mountaintop of the transfiguration back to the, the flatland of everyday or common life, the three disciples and Jesus find a scene of confusion. If you're reading it, you see this. The other disciples had apparently uh, felt Christ's absence in a humiliating way. They had been asked to perform a miracle, uh, which was to cast out the demon uh, in this young boy, and they had failed. They could not do it. They had succeeded in very similar situations, but failed in this one. And so this instance became a testing of faith for the boy's father, but also for the disciples, an opportunity for Jesus to do some teaching. When the father said in verse 24, he said, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Kind of a famous phrase. I talked about that last week as well. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I don't know about you, but that resonates with me. I've been there, done that more often than I wish in, in the sense that I have had to acknowledge honestly, Lord, I trust you. I, I have faith. I, I'm trying, but sometimes I also still have doubts. Sometimes I get out of focus. Sometimes I, I, I get sidetracked and struggle in one way or another. Has anybody else ever felt that way? Maybe even recently. 
we, we sometimes do. We, we sometimes lose focus. But the point here is that Jesus can work through faith that is still developing. I think so. that's what we see in this story. He can work through faith that is even weak. Faith that is a work in progress. After all, let me, let me say this. Listen closely. It is not the quantity of our faith that makes the greatest difference. It is the quality of Him in whom our faith rests. The application part of this story, therefore, which, by the way, the application part is always the most important part, right? You know, Joel, as he was praying, talked about the information that, that uh, hopefully we can learn through looking at God's Word today that God might want to share through me. But really, the information is, is not going to lead to transformation unless we talk about application. Application is so important in every situation. How does this change my life? How can I live differently? And I think to address that point here, I think it is to understand this key point about faith again. Let me say it one more time. And if you agree with it, it would be a good time to say amen at the end of it. But here it is. Understanding, understanding this. It is not the quantity of our faith that makes the greatest difference. It is the quality of Him in whom our faith rests. We need to understand that. Quantity of faith is a good thing, but the quality in whom we are trusting is so much more the key thing. And as, as um, this father of this demon-possessed boy uh, is talking with Jesus, there's obviously some doubt in this boy, Look at, or in this father, I mean. Verse 22, that he says to Jesus, it has often thrown him, referring to his boy, it's often thrown him into fire, he's talking about the demon, has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but, and he's talking to Jesus, but if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Does that sound like powerful man of faith sounds like a guy who's struggling who's like jesus if i don't know for sure if you can but if you can do anything about this would you please help us and jesus meets him right there in the middle of his relatively weak faith and jesus reiterates some of that question back he says if you can really that's your question if you can everything is possible for him who believes, Jesus said. So, in other words, Jesus is confirming what we read in Hebrews 11, where he says, where God's word says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But Jesus is also in this moment confirming this point that I'm trying to make, and that is that we do not have to come to him with perfect faith. We come to Him with authenticity, with sincerity, with all we've got, which might not be a whole lot sometimes. Look at verse 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This guy's faith was not the faith of a super saint. This was not a young Billy Graham necessarily or Mother Teresa or whoever. He acknowledged that his faith was in fact weak. And at the feet of the Savior, the man cried out, probably with tears, confessing both his faith and his faith's weakness, which is exactly what Jesus wanted from him. He just wanted him to be real. Don't pretend, don't put up a mask and pretend to be something you're not. Just say, Lord, here's the real deal. I want to believe, I'm trying to believe, I am pursuing you, but sometimes I struggle and I doubt and I get off track or I lose focus or whatever. Be real with the Lord, and He will meet you there as He met this guy, 
in the middle of his situation. You know, in Matthew's version of this story, the story's not only here in the book of Mark, but also in Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew's version that even faith the size of a mustard seed would suffice. And that's one of the very smallest seeds on the planet. That's why Jesus said that. He said, if you even had the faith of the size of a mustard seed, great things can happen. See, Jesus is not necessarily demanding perfection. He's demanding or looking for authenticity, for, for genuine faith. Not perfect faith. I mean, perfect is great if you can get there, but he's looking for authentic faith. Growing in faith is a constant process of daily renewing our trust in Jesus, taking intentional steps, intentional steps day by day, week by week. And when you mess up, you start again. You start fresh and say, oh, Lord, I messed up yesterday. Last week, maybe even, was not a good week or whatever it is. But Lord, today I come to you with all I've got. And I want to lay that before you and ask you to lead me to the next step. Help me to continue. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step backwards, but you say, Lord, I'm all yours. And with humility and consistency and authenticity, you pursue the Lord. You listen to Him as God in the cloud said to Peter, James, and John. Listen to my son. I would tell you, you can do that a number of ways. For one, do what you're doing right now, which is to show up on Sunday morning, to make Sunday morning a high priority. Uh, church attendance across the nation, as far as I've understood from different studies, has, has went, dwindled some, but not necessarily those who call themselves Christians. That may be also in play, but a lot of it is just people used to go to church, you know, like 90% of the time, 9 out of 10, rarely miss. And now regular means every other week, or for some it means once a month, or whatever. And I'm just, I'm not here to beat anybody up with that. I'm just telling you, if you want to grow and walk in, uh, in faith with the Lord and you want to develop your faith, make Sunday morning a priority. Make it a priority. Another thing, four things you can do. One is that. One, second is to carve out time alone with the Lord every day. Every day. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just listening to a good sermon, no matter who is up here. It could be the world's best preacher. That's still not enough. You need to be in God's Word daily, on your own. Carve out time. You can call it quiet time or devotional time or whatever it looks like, prayer time. But look for opportunities to spend time with the Lord every day. A third great option to develop your walk with Him is to find a small group of some kind. That can happen midweek here in life groups. Talk to Kent Gordon or, or uh, Craig Walker about that or really anyone that's in a life group. They can tell you more about it or point you in the right direction. Maybe you find a life group at Celebrate Recovery. Maybe it's a midweek Bible study. There are lots of ways, but sometimes we need to let God's Word play out. When God says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need one another. So find a, find a small group. It's a great way to develop your walk with the Lord. And then fourth, as we've already heard, as I quoted to you what Paul the Apostle said to young Timothy at one point, put your faith in action. Practice your gifts. Find a place to serve. Find an area where you can make an impact, where you can serve, whether that be inside a church, uh, the building, or in the ministries that we're part of, or just on your own, serving Him by loving those out in our community. But serve. If you'll put things like that in motion and just pray, Lord God, help me to know how to grow. I want to grow. Lord, let me ask, does anybody, does anybody ever feel the need to pray such a prayer? Say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to develop my walk with you. I want to get closer to you tomorrow than I am today. Anybody feel that way? I hope we all feel that way. Lord, I want to keep taking steps until the day I die. 
until the last breath I breathe happens. Lord, I want to take steps to grow and walk in you. And it's things like this we're talking about. Because again, as we already saw, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. God is not playing hide and seek with you. He does not do that. He, now, He expects us to seek Him, but He doesn't hide from us. He is in plain sight. He is available all the time for us. And He wants us to simply seek Him with our whole heart. All right, let's continue. Verse 33 goes like this. They came to Capernaum. When He was in the house, He, this is Jesus, Jesus asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. These are his disciples. Look at what they're arguing about. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me and Whoever welcomes me does not welcome only me, but the one who sent me. You know, while this incident is included, included here in Mark, it's also in Matthew and Luke as well. And I think Mark captures the immediacy of the situation as they're walking along here, questioning and wondering who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus uses a child. I think that's a really interesting angle. There's so much we can learn from children. So much. And Jesus uses a child to help them to basically rebuke them about having such petty argument about who's going to be first or who's the greatest. In uh, Luke's version of this story, Luke verse nine, chapter 9, verse 48, he says, For he who is least among you, he is the greatest. You know, the topic of humility came up last week as well toward the end of chapter 8 when we saw Peter have to swallow a really big pill, right? If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Peter had to swallow the huge pill of rebuke because he, even though he's one of Jesus' inner circle, inner circle in the inner circle, he still got out of line at times. He messed up. Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow, powerful rebuke. And Peter swallowed that pill. And he, in humility, followed what God was telling him, what Jesus told him. Humility is so foundational and foundational, fundamental to our uh, walk with the Lord. And pride... You know, the antithesis of humility, this thing that gets in the way so often, is so dangerous. And it's a hurdle for almost all of us. How about this? Let me ask, does anybody in here not ever struggle with pride? Never had a problem with pride? All right, there we go. No hands in the air. This is something we all deal with, isn't it? Let me, let me finish this thought with um, a quote from an Anglican bishop from the early 1800s who's long been with the Lord. His name was J.C. Ryle. He wrote this a couple hundred years ago. He put, Pride is one of the commonmost sins which beset human nature. It is a subtle sin. It rules and reigns in many a heart without being detected and can even wear the clothing of humility. It is a most soul-ruining sin. It prevents repentance keeps people back from Christ, checks brotherly love, and nips spiritual concern in the bud. Let us watch against it and be on our guard. Of all clothing, none is so graceful, none wears so well, and none is so rare as true humility. A lot to 
really think about there and digest. Jesus again said it this way, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and servant of all, like a child typically is. So the application, I think, here would be that we need to be quick to be humble. We need to be quick to serve. And so another question just for you to ponder, something only you can really answer. How quick to serve are you? How humble are you? How humble am I? How quick to serve am I? I think each of us need to address that. As I said last week, a powerful quote in this context, an anonymous quote is this, if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. I think we need to really ponder and contemplate and look at our lives in this context. You know, speaking of being humble and being a servant, caring about other people, I want to ask, some of you know who Rita Beach is. Some of you know that name, some of you do not. But will you make her feel welcome as she comes up here? I want to talk to her for a minute. Come on, make her feel welcome. Where are you at, Rita? There she is. Come on up here. So in short, Rita uh, came all the way from Uganda, which is in Africa. In fact, we have a, a picture of that. Um, yeah, there's her, her ministry, Faith, Hope, and Love Missions, and some wonderful people she works with. But look at the next slide here. In case you don't know where Africa is, there's the picture of that on the left. You probably have seen that on some map somewhere. Uganda there in the, in the middle to the east a little bit. And within the country of Uganda, you see there's Masaka. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us a little bit about, for those who don't know you or haven't heard about you, tell us a little bit about Faith, Hope, and Love Missions and what you do in Masaka, Uganda. Okay. Um, well, Faith Health Love Missions has been um, an organization in Uganda for like 10 years now. And we have a community center or a youth center for youth um, in the town of Masaka. And we also sponsor or um, give school fees and, and things like that to, or um, living expenses, things like that to eight of our youth. Uh, we have secondary students. So we work with students, um, not only ours, but ours around Masaka that are from, eight, or from 13 to 30 years old. So that's what the government denotes as youth. So we've got some other pictures here. Here are some of the things that happen at the youth center. Um, some awesome things. I don't know if you want to comment about yeah. these things, but there are several pictures here. Tell us what we're looking at. Okay. Um, first off, every week um, we always have Bible studies. Um, I love what you said about standing on the Word of God, and not, that is our ministry. And we're about transformation. Um, metamorphosis, for sure, because we've seen it in so many of our youth. And even our, it's something that God did in me, so I love to see it in other people that change the, the transformation. And I love butterflies because we all are wiggly, yucky worms until get, Jesus gets a hold of us, right? <laughs> and that's what he does. And when we can, you know, share that love and transformation um, of what he can do into these youth, that's what it's all about. And the word of God. And that's how it happens. So. Rita, some, some out here know this, some don't. But yeah. tell us a little bit about... You don't look like a typical Ugandan. So how, how, did, how did you, as a uh, pretty much a white American, how did you end up in Uganda? Tell us a little bit about your story for those who don't okay. know Okay. Um, I started serving in East Africa in 2004, just short-term missions. Went to Uganda a couple times. Um, in 2007, I went there for a few months. And it was my 
okay, God is my little step into the water. Can I do this full-time? And I did. And um, in early 2009, I became a full-time missionary. And it was, it's been amazing. God's done so much in me through these people. <laughs> where, where, isn't that awesome? Yeah, isn't that awesome? So, so where in that timeline did you get married? How'd that happen? Okay. In 2012, March of 2012, um, I got married to Rogers. He's my husband. His name's Rogers Bulagea. And he's so, from Uganda. Yeah, he's from Uganda. And he's from Masaka. He's been born and raised there. He, he has a, a business. He also pastors some. So he loves Jesus. I met him through ministry. <laughs> and we've been praying and working with her. And when I say we, I mean our mission team and therefore our whole church has been praying with and trying to help Rita find a way for Rogers to get to come over here. But so far, he's, his, his visa has been denied and yeah. has not been allowed. Yeah. But we're praying and hoping that that will change. Amen. And he Amen. will get to come and be with her on one of these trips when she comes back. Yeah. About every year or every other year. Yeah. So we're starting to do about every other year now. Okay. About yeah. every other year. Yeah. So... Um, as we were talking, I wanted to bring you up to talk at the end of that part of the message because as Jesus said, when he said, let's see, make sure I quote it right, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and the servant of all. Mm -hmm. Rita, from what I see, you get that. You didn't go to Kenya, I mean Uganda. You didn't go to Uganda, I mean, for the sake of what's in it for you. Mm -hmm. You did not go there because there was some big salary or because you know, any of those kind of things, or because you didn't have other options. You yeah. chose to do that because you wanted to live out what Jesus is talking about. Explain why, as best you can. Why did you want to serve? Why do you serve and love others the way you do? You know, when he brought me into full-time ministry, it was a, definitely a calling, but I saw when I was over there the need for people to have discipleship to get to know Jesus like deep in their hearts and be transformed. I'm gonna cry. So, it's an emotional thing. Yeah, because that's what we all need. We all need Jesus. And the, the chains come off, the bondage is broken. So, yeah, that's why. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I praise God for your willingness to go and to make an impact on others there. And I praise God that we get to be part of that. Rita is one of our missionaries that we support, that uh, your contributions go to help and on a regular basis. And I, she has told us thank you many times. In fact, there's the last slide. You know, this kind of thing, what she's doing would only be possible, would not be possible if not for us and other churches that are helping you and some yes. individuals as well. And it is a privilege to get to be part of that, to support her and help her in that way. But it is also something that I hope, I don't know about you, but I feel challenged. Every time I'm around you or talk with you, I'm like, oh, dear God, help me to be more like Rita. Uh -huh. You know, not that you're perfect, <laughs> I know, no, 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 no. But, but your willingness to, to serve, your willingness to love others yeah. and to sacrifice so much for the sake of ministering to others in beautiful ways. And mm -hmm. the band is going to come out and lead us in a song in just a minute. But before they do, I want to ask you, if you would, mm -hmm. to pray over us as a church that we would all together you included, all of us learn how more and more just to take steps, steps one after another to walk with the Lord and to let Him guide us down the path of serving. Maybe, maybe that might be as specific to what we're talking about as to join 
Rita, to go with Kristen Tessing and some others that are going to plan and put together a trip to go to Uganda uh, this coming year, 2020. If you have any interest at all, just even slight interest about that, we want to invite you um, to come up and we'll tell you more about it, but we're going to have a lunch after second service, you know, roughly one o'clock. We'll tell you all about it, how we're doing that, and we'd love to have you come and get to know Rita, hear some more about her story, hear more about that possible trip in 2020 if you want to know more about it. Beyond that, maybe as Rita prays, maybe the Lord will speak to your heart through what is being prayed and God will help you recognize your need to be a missionary right here. Maybe it's to love your neighbor in a way you've never done before. Maybe it's to serve in the nursery right here in the building. Maybe it's to witness to a stranger that you've never met before that God opens the door somewhere at some place. You're walking along a path or you're at Walmart or whatever and God allows you an opportunity to see that person. You see that person right there? They are somebody who needs Jesus and I want you to talk to them. Open the door of conversation and just see where that goes and let God work through you. Would you all stand with us and read it? Would you lead us in this prayer? And can we all just allow her to pray on our behalf? Father God, we humbly come before you. As your children, as your people, Father God, we thank you and praise you for the abundant blessings that you've given us. And we just thank you for your word and what you've done in us and through us so far, Lord. But we want to grow in you, Lord. We want our hearts to be changed and transformed, Lord. Help us to admit that. Help us to be humble enough to say, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to you and I want to know you more. I want to become like you, Lord, in every aspect. And help me, help us all, help us all to serve you, to, to seek others, Father God, to love them like Jesus loved, and to, to go out into our communities. And if you're called, Father God calls you to serve in far-reaching, far-flung places, but we can only do that by knowing you through the word and praying and seeking your face every single day, Lord. Every single day. Let us seek that message that you have for us, Lord. Every single moment and every single day. So we can seek your face and know you and be changed and transformed. And the people, the image of God and the people you want us to be. Thank you. We praise you for this church and this community. And all your people said what? Amen. Can we put our hands together for Rita? As the band leads us, there are going to be others up here with me. Uh, our decision team, our prayer team, they would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. If you want to come and find Rita, come and do that. But let's let's sing, let's worship, and if the Holy Spirit prompts you, let's respond in whatever way He leads you to do this morning as we sing together. There is a love that came.